Hello, writers. I'm Britt Three, and you're listening to College Writing Actually, where we talk about the how-to and how-come of college writing and writing instruction every other Wednesday while school's in session. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Tabak, a freelance writing educator and consultant. Thank you for making time to talk to us today, Jess. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so nice to see you. <laughs> Jess customizes writing and reading support for learners seeking guidance, honing a range of skills, including analytic reading and writing, professional writing like cover letters and college apps, research project and paper development. And if that's not enough, Jess also helps organizations create their own programs for writing support. Jess has worked in a number of higher education positions as well, including directing writing support programs at Providence College and Brown. We actually worked together for a summer and it was great. Oh, that's sweet of you to say. We did and it was. It was and that summer that we worked together is actually uh, when the idea for college writing actually was born. Story time real quick. So while Jess was the assistant director at Brown, she was over like undergrad stuff for lack of a better word there was a lot um and one of the the programs that she worked on was um like an undergrad orientation so for like first years coming into brown who wanted to self-select into this program to help them get ready to transition into college writing and the program's called excellence at brown so jess was over it i was the graduate student director and i was putting together like a reflective anti-racist resource list. And I wanted to have like a glossary on it for terms that they were gonna hear a lot of, but I also wanted auditory resources because y'all know I love like podcasts, audiobooks. I'm a fan of the audio space. And so I wanted to find podcasts for them, but a lot of the podcasts were creative writing and not academic writing. And there are some like Rhetoricity and uh, lexicon valley like there there are a couple but I, I wanted something that was focused on college writing and there are not a lot of them that are geared towards students and so when I was telling this to Jess she was like I think that you actually found like a niche that has gone unfilled in the podcast universe and literally at the same time we were like huh I didn't think there was one. <laughs> and from there, college writing actually was born. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Jess has a real passion for making writing a practical experience and also a positive experience. So of course, I had to have her come and talk about a question that can often invoke negative feelings. How do you actually create a research question? This is the question to begin all questions when it comes to writing a research paper. Before we get into curating a thesis or organizing body paragraphs, how in the world do I decide on a paper-worthy research question? Yes, I love that as the question to begin all questions. The first, the question to rule all the questions. Um, and in a way, it's sort of creates, it sets, the, it sets the stage for your entire paper, right? Um, so I'd start with just a couple of things about a good research question, and then we can kind of get into detail on some stuff. Um, a good research question, I think, is one that inspires exploration. The word explore is really, really important. Um, you can ask yourself, could I answer this question by looking at a single source on the internet, like through a quick search? Or would it require carefully examining a range of sources to be able to answer it, right? There should be room for you to explore because when there's room to explore, there's room to discover, 
And when there's room to discover, your research is actually going to, I promise, it's actually going to be fun. You're going to be excited to be doing it. The second thing that I like to say about, um, about a research question, thinking broadly, is that a good research question follows the Goldilocks rule. It's neither too small nor too big, but just right. If it's too big, it's gonna take a book for you to answer it. And that's something that you can do should you decide to go on to graduate studies. Britt can talk to you all about that at a later date. Um, if it's through too many short, tears. yeah, <laughs> through <laughs> tears, I hope of joy as well as oh, um, challenge. Um, if it's too short, <laughs> it's going to be resolvable without a lot of thought, right? There's not gonna be a lot of there there. So the right sized question is one that can be fully explored within the scope of whatever assignment it is that you're looking at. And then in most college research classes, you know, early on in your career, that's probably gonna be somewhere between eight and 15 pages. Mm. Yeah, and scope is something I've seen a lot of writers struggle with. And what you're saying makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense and the check questions are clear, the internet search, but I wonder if there's something that writers can do, some exercise that can help them see how long it would take to execute the argument of a research question. Does that make sense? Like, how do you tell if I have a five page paper, a three page paper, an eight page paper, a 15 page paper, how do I size this question appropriately once I feel like I'm in the field of the question that I wanna ask? How do I get specific enough? How do I leave it open enough? Well, I think um, one thing that I have often told or encouraged writers to do is to follow the Google test. Um, and that's basically type your question or your, your, um, your hypothetical question, your potential question um, into, into Google, right? And then see what comes up, okay? There are two things that you wanna see. One, that the search terms you're putting in that are in nestled in your question, right? That it's specific enough that you're not getting 5,000 hits, right? Because how on earth are you being able to look at that, right? You want something that's gonna that's going to be bringing up something that's manageable, right? Um, you know, something that's a scrollable number of pages, whether you're writing a five-page paper or you're writing a you know fifteen-page paper. Um, the other thing you want to do is you want to make sure that when you put in your question, you're not getting back sources that directly answer your question. Right, because if there are sources that are directly, specifically answering your exact question, then you're kind of hanging out in a space that's already been pretty well trod. Right, you want to be trying to find something that is in conversation with other folks, but at the same time creating your own path, creating your own perspective. So that's one thing that I um, that I recommend to students um, to to think about when they're trying to think of, is this too big? Is this too small? What do I do with scope? And I would say, I know Britt, you said that, you know, a five page paper would be too, a 15 page paper, 20 page paper. One rule of thumb, I say that if you're going to be meaningfully engaging with a source, it's gonna take at least a page. So if you're writing a five page research paper, figure hmm, intro conclusion, if you can maybe do two to three sources, if that sounds about right, right? For what it is that you're doing, then I would kind of go use that as a rule of thumb. As long as there's nothing in the prompt that suggests something different, I would say about a page of source to be able to meaningfully engage with the source is gonna give you about the right amount, amount of material. Mm, that's good. I hadn't thought about the source engagement because I definitely see students drown 
and source material mm -hmm. when they are trying to make sure that they're engaging sources. Um, and oh, well, oh my gosh, they're all speaking exactly to my question, which like possibly is a red flag. Uh, <laughs> your question has already <laughs> been overcovered. <laughs> but I, I think that rule of thumb is is a good one. Like you need a page, not five pages, not half a page. You need to like really dig into it not yeah. just use them to say your thing so that's that's that gets into another conversation about analysis that we won't get into today oh but i wish we could <laughs> oh my god it's my favorite thing in the whole world mercy analysis that's <laughs> my well, goodness that's, i know well because that's a question too the question of like well if you're not giving a really like a pretty meaty paragraph thinking about a source then it's probably not a source that you're engaging with in a meaningful enough way, right? It's probably not a good source for you. Um, so yes, but anyway, we will we will table that. I will. We'll I will table stop. that. But that that was that's a good nugget. Just because a source is legit, just because it, you didn't find it on a phishing site, just because the source is like peer reviewed, doesn't mean it's a good source for you for this paper. For example, they want you to have two sources. And they don't, and you know, you're free to have sources that are not on this, on this list. I mean, we'll talk about that more, you know, later days. Um, but if you want to work with other sources that have not been given by their professor, you definitely do want to think, is this source good for me? Does this source help me to think more deeply about this? Or are they just saying exactly what I want to say? Right. And maybe that, that gathering of sources can help you hone in even more on your research question has someone already said it do you feel like you have nothing to add okay well maybe you focus on a different aspect of of your broader research question so that you can actually say here is my contribution to this discourse and those are the papers that are really strong and compelling because you're showing your reader where you fit in to an ongoing conversation and i think good research questions open up, they 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 make evident the broader conversation and they make evident where they fit into that conversation. And that's the sort of how uh, sources can help you to do that, to say, here's what others have said, here's what I'm saying, either with or against that or alongside that or, or whatever. So sources can be a really great way, not just to help you to unpack the research question, but to think, do I wanna take this question up or do I need to pivot a little bit? Okay, great. All good fundamentals for creating a research question. <laughs> but you know the one thing that I find most useful for actually writing the whole paper, and you touched on it at the very beginning, you talked about inspiring exploration. You gotta like the question. Mm -hmm. like, you have to be interested <laughs> in the answer or you're just like, you're gonna get to page two and be like, this is five page joint, I gotta stop. I gotta, like, you have to like it. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's, you have to like it because you're the one that has to live with it, right? And you're literally going to be living with it, right? For, for a little bit. Um, And so, yeah, like, it's, it's actually a wonderful thing that you, as, you know, a writer are so often given the gift of being able to choose your own research question because then you have, you have agency, right? When you're given that choice, right? Uh, it's, it's, if you could think of it, if we can think of it, not, oh my goodness, but as, oh, thank goodness, you know, I'm not getting stuck with some question that I'm not really jazzed about at all, right? 
you have this agency. Yeah, totally, which is wonderful. Um, And so when we think about a good research question, right, we want it to be one that inspires curiosity, right? I will say for myself, when I am, um, when I'm writing my own work, but then also when I'm reading student work, I love research questions that ask something surprising, something that stems from an observation that someone made that's a little bit weird, unexpected when somebody says, you know, I'm reading this text and this and this all are fine, whatever, but there's this like very strange thing that happens, right? In this moment of this, let's say it's a novel or let's say it's a study, right? You know, if you're doing something in the social sciences or sciences, I want to find out more about that. I'm going to write my research question about the strange thing, right? To see if I can make some sense of it. Because everybody wants us to make sense of things that are mysterious or strange, right? That is half the podcasts in the world are unsolved mysteries, right? Revealed. So it's like, (laughs) right? And so I think that that is, um, if you think it's a little weird, you think it's a little curious, right? It's going, that's going to, that mystery is going to spur you on. And it's also going to spur your reader on when this becomes something for a reader. Um, Related to that, when you're finding something unusual that hasn't been explored, you start turning over rocks that have been sitting there for a while, right? That's when you're going to discover something new. I know I mentioned that word discovery before, but it's so important. If your question's taking you down a road that's too well-traveled, there's just not going to be in Brit. You were saying this too, when we were just kind of riffing about sources, there's not going to be a lot of room for you to make a unique discovery, make a unique contribution, bring your own unique voice and perspective to the party, right? So instead, consider taking a side road on your topic or going completely off-road, if that's your choice, in order to find your own way and to kind of blaze your own trail on this topic. And that's where um, to sort of um, circle back the idea of doing that Google search. What I was saying, if there are lots of like, if there are articles in like magazines like The Atlantic or The New Yorker or, you know, these sorts of like think piece type magazines that have the exact same question they're answering, it's probably, you probably want to do something a little different. Those could be great articles to read to get ideas about something strange or curious, right? To explore more, but it's probably, you probably want to find something a little bit different. Um, And then the last thing I think about, um, about exploration is that a good research question generates more questions for you as you begin researching it. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this piece that's very, very widely, it's anthologized, but it's also widely available online if you are curious about exploring it after you listen to this podcast. Um, and it's called Consider the Lobster. It's by David Foster Wallace, who is a, was a novelist, but also did a lot of nonfiction writing. And it's, it's hilarious. He was writing this article. He was given Gourmet Magazine, right? The food magazine gave this guy, um, they sent him to the main lobster festival. And they're like, okay, go ahead and write a review of the lobster festival. Okay, fine, right? But it's David Foster Wallace and David Foster Wallace's brain is going a mile a minute in any space he's ever in. And so he's in this this lobster festival and he just starts noticing like the gross consumption, all of the waste, the piles of like, you know, trash, you know, in cans that are just covered in, pardon me, and if you are vegetarian, uh, this may be difficult, but like essentially animal carcasses. And he starts asking these questions of like, where did this 
whole practice of eating whole lobsters come from? And then he starts researching that. And then he starts doing more of that research. He's like, and why do we, why do we boil them alive? And then he starts researching that. And then he starts thinking, can they really not feel pain? Or is this something that we just tell ourselves? He goes down this, this wild rabbit hole, right? And what's supposed to be a review of the lobster festival for gourmet magazine which is hilarious they changed the ending on him but you can find the real ending in um some anthologized books because he got a little too dark um it's i used to have students read this essay because it's such an amazing example of going somewhere to and just getting curious finding something strange doing a little digging huh then finding something else strange and doing a little more digging. So this like fluff piece he's supposed to write ends up becoming this piece about like the ethics of how we treat animals, right? Who would have thought, who would have expected? But it's because David Foster Wallace was an exceptionally curious person, right? And because he was using that curiosity to drive questions that then he would explore and that would lead to more questions. So I think when you can get in a, if you've got a question that's leading to other questions, that means that you are on the right track. And by the right track, I mean a new track, something interesting, something that's gonna lead you to discover something new. Wow, I had myself muted because I don't want y'all to hear all the noise that goes on around me on a regular day, but could y'all but hear me? And could you but see my face? I was going through the entire motions of that story. I was like, what? Oh, that's gross. What? Can they not? Like, I was living off of every every plot twist of the lobsters. Um, and now I want to know, like, can they not feel pain? So, you know, that just to annotate, the questions that you ask, you were in a position, you were in a maybe I call it a sympathetic position, right? You are in a position as the writer to think about your reader. You are doing this, this narration. You are telling this story. You are doing this work to answer questions that you have. And you're cognizant of the fact that your reader probably wants to know the same things, right? Like, have some confidence in yourself. You are an intelligent person. You ask good questions. Follow them. Right. And that's part of the the glory. Like I, I see students and I was definitely at one point a student. Well, actually, no, I wasn't. I don't like being told what to do. But <laughs> I see students come into the writing center and they're like, oh, my gosh, just tell me what to write. I don't want to have to write my own thing and come up with my own thing. But it's it's an exceptionally powerful position that encourages you to take your autonomy as a thinker. Right. You tell me what is of import and you tell me why and convince me. Right. So like make your case. And I think that's really thank you, Jess, like for that essay. Y'all definitely go read it. That's a really powerful example of how you can do what you want to do, because, you know, if Wallace wanted to, if he was writing this for Professor Applewhite, he could say, well, Professor Applewhite. I think we should think about the concept of reviews. I am reviewing this lobster festival and I am offering now a critical review. I see before me, right? Like you can you can take the assignment for what it is, but words are multiplicitous. As the writer, take advantage of that. What is a review? I'm gonna offer this kind of review. What is a literary criticism? I'm gonna offer this kind of criticism, right? Like do what you want to is the moral that I got from David Foster Wallace. Thank you for the permission. I bequeath it unto you. 
Yeah, I love I love that, Britt. And I, I would add to um, when you were talking about how students often come to the writing center and they're, they're, they will say, oh my gosh, just, I wish they would just tell me what to write. I think a lot of that comes from fear, right? And it's fear that, agree. right? And it's like, oh, I don't know if that's really what my professor wants. I don't really, you know, and I'll say two things. One, if you're thinking about doing something like off the beaten path, like we're describing, you can always run it by your professor if you're not sure, right? You're going to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing, you know, you said, you said I should do a review of this festival. I'm actually noticing this other stuff and I want to do a critical review for this, this, and this reason, right? Here's like a brief outline or can I come to your office hours and have that conversation? As a professor, those are the kinds of conversations I was always really excited to have, right? Yes, absolutely. And you know, they may say, well, actually I'm really looking for specific things for this assignment and I need you to look at certain skills. Okay, fine, you're in the clear. But they may be like, oh my God, go for it. And I would say a lot of the times they will be because it means they're thinking, oh, I'm going to read an essay that's different from all the other essays. Facts. I cannot wait, right? Facts. Right. And I think that the other thing, the other thing about it is that like, um, the other thing about it is that oftentimes I think that even, and I was this way as a student and actually probably even more as a grad student than as an undergrad, um, I often thought like, well, what is it that my professor wants me to say? What is the argument they want me to have? And again, I will not I will not speak for all professors, but I will say that many, I may even say most, but I think that a lot of professors really want to see you be excited about your work and they want to see you, right? Show them something they didn't know, right? When you said Brit convinced me. Some of the best student essays I have read, you know, over the years have been ones where I sit there like, you know, so I, I write marginalia, like I'm watching a football game. I'm kind of like, oh no. Oh, oh, so close. Wait. Oh, hold on. Wait, wait. You got me. You got me. Okay. Yep. Oh, you know, like, it's like, I'm watching somebody going down the field. Um, anyway, so I'll start off a paper, you know, and I'm kind of like, hmm, I don't know. But what about this? I don't know. And then as I start re continue reading your paper, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I get it. Oh, I see where you're going. And then by the end, they've like, literally, they've just scored a touchdown. And I had no idea at the beginning. And they've literally made me think about, I don't know, something, I think it's something that I've taught 500 times Frankenstein or something, right? Like, um, which is amazing. And if you haven't read it, you should read it because it's Halloween time right now as we're, as we're, uh, at least as we're recording this. Um, yes. Right. It's like, let me be mindful. I don't know when you're going to be listening to it, but, um, but, but, you know, but they actually make me see something about, it. they make me discover something through their eyes. Right. And that's always just, oh my gosh, as a reader, that is such a gift. I, I mean, it, it's certainly my experience. Like when you're grading 50 plus papers, mm -hmm. you are grateful for the one that breaks up the monotony of students just trying to write a, what y'all have discussed in class or B, what they think you want to write. Neither of those things are super interesting, right? And so I would say as a practice of writing for you, the student, pursue your joy, like pursue your joy. You're only in college for a fixed amount of time. If you're at a liberal arts institution, you are here to learn how to think, not what to think. So pursue your joy and write what write what you want, absolutely go to office hours, absolutely shoot them an email. This is the direction my thoughts are going, is that okay? 
find a way to pursue your joy because those are the papers that are going to be the most compelling 100% of the time. Even if your professor gives you feedback, like, I think the argument might have been more successful if you advanced this point. That's valuable, right? Like that doesn't mean that you failed. That just means that you made me interested enough to want you to succeed in this argument. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I'm invested with you, right? And so pursue your joy and be open to the journey that that takes you on. Writing is a journey, you're not gonna be able to escape it. So you might as well take the journey that you wanna take. Cause mm -hmm. on the times that you're walking by yourself, you're gonna have to be entertained by the journey. And if you're somewhere that you don't wanna be, ain't no entertainment in that, right? So <laughs> thank you so much, Jess. Um, this has been the perfect opening to the next trilogy of episodes. How do you actually write a research paper in? And so each episode will talk about writing a paper in the three major sectors of the disciplines, the humanities, social sciences, and STEM. So stay tuned for those. Following us on Twitter and adding us to your playlist of your preferred streaming platform is the best way to keep up with college writing, actually, in our new episodes. Until then, we out of here. Y'all, right on.